Welcome to Follow the Data. I'm your host, Catherine Oliver. In Newark, New Jersey, Mayor Roz Baraka recently commissioned a monument honoring abolitionist Harriet Tubman, who escaped slavery and helped many others do the same as a conductor of the Underground Railroad, which passed through many sites in New Jersey, specifically in Newark. Designed by New Jersey-based artist and architect Nina Cook-John, the new monument will be built on the former site of a Christopher Columbus statue that was removed from a downtown park in the summer of 2020 following calls for racial justice. In fall 2020, the city of Newark engaged the arts and culture team at Bloomberg Associates, the pro bono consulting arm of Bloomberg Philanthropies, to develop a commissioning process for this major new piece of public art and provide ongoing guidance as the project develops. In this episode, which is part of a series about how memorials, monuments, and temporary public art pieces can be more reflective of our society, David Anderson of the Bloomberg Associates Culture Team sits down with Fayemi Shakur, the Arts and Cultural Affairs Director of the City of Newark. They discuss the process of selecting Cook John's design, how the artist team is working with the community, and what it means for cities to construct new monuments today. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Follow the Data podcast, taking a look at a wonderful project in Newark, New Jersey. I'm David Anderson on the culture team at Bloomberg Associates, and I'm joined today by Fayemi Shakur, the city of Newark's Director of Arts and Cultural Affairs. Fayemi, I'm so glad to be here talking with you today. Hi, David. I'm glad to be here, too. Thanks so much for inviting me. I just want to say before we dive in that this project has been so inspiring to be a part of. Your leadership, Fayemi, and the leadership of Mayor Baraka have shown what a city can do to lead the charge on community-centered public art. You and I have spent a lot of time together these past couple of years talking about this and working through all the complexities of this project. And I've seen just how much you have to share that other city leaders can learn from as they think about shaping their public spaces moving forward. So I'm happy that today we get to share some of your wisdom with others. Awesome. Me too. Yes. So the subject matter at hand is a monument that the city of Newark is commissioning to honor Harriet Tubman and New Jersey's role in the Underground Railroad. The new monument will replace a prominent statue of Christopher Columbus that the city removed following calls for social justice in the summer of 2020. There's a lot to unpack about how you got to this moment, and we will, but I want to start with the monument itself. So Tell us a little about this monument that's to come and the amazing design created by artist and architect Nina Cook-John. Nina Cook-John's proposal, I think, took our selection committee by surprise, pleasantly. It was really unique in that it was designed to be a gathering space, someplace that's not just a statue, but a place where community can come to as a site of meditation, a site for protest, community programming. She really considered when we asked for community engagement, she was very thoughtful in how she thought about the, not just the design, but different uses of the space. It almost looks like a circulatory ramp and it has a larger than life portrait of Harriet Tubman's face on the side that's made of a mosaic. And then at the top, it has a metal sculpture of outlining Harriet's figure. And at the top of it um, will be illuminated 
um, similar to the North Star. It will also be surrounded by concrete benches. So it won't be a space where people will just walk by and look at it, but a space where people can actually sit and reflect and gather. The learning wall will include audio stories that will be collected from the community. Working in partnership with Audible, we're putting together content that will elaborate on the history of the Underground Railroad. This monument is really the first major public art commission by the city of Newark in many decades. How did the city decide that the Underground Railroad was the right subject for a new monument and what does this subject mean for the newer community? Well, we've been thinking about uh, monuments for a while since we had an exhibition in Newark called A Call to Peace that was organized by Monument Lab and New Art Justice at Express Newark, um, another art organization here in the city. I participated as a co-curator of community engagement for that exhibition, and we really started to look at the monuments in our city that were prominently from a Confederate era, and people didn't really know the history of some of those monuments. And one of the questions that was posed for residents to consider is what would be a timely monument for Newark? We had a lab, a little shipping container in the park, military park, where residents and visitors could come and we'd talk with them and they could complete a worksheet where they could either draw a monument or a statue or write ideas for what they thought they'd like to see in the city. And many of those proposals named specifically Harriet Tubman as a figure they'd like to see honored in the city of Newark. So when the mayor decided we would remove Christopher Columbus statue from the park. Harriet Tubman was the first name to come to mind. And he said, we should put a statue of Harriet Tubman in the park. Let's talk for a moment about the process for getting to this design. To start, you held a national open call for artists, and then you chose five of them and commissioned them to create conceptual designs. What was that process like? And what were the different designs that were proposed? It was super exciting to be able to put the call out nationally. We ended up with proposals, our top five choices that were selected were from Vinnie Bagwell, Jules Arthur, Dred Scott, and Abigail DeVille. All of their submissions were pretty unique. And even when we put out a survey that enabled residents to provide their feedback, there was no clear winner. Some of them were figurative, some of them were traditional statues on a pedestal. And I, I really think that Nina stood out because she really presented a way for us to reimagine what a monument in public art could be. The community feedback element of your selection process was really well thought through, and it's been a critical part of the project. How did that feedback inform the selection process, and why was it so important to you to include? I'm always taking a look at what's happening nationally when projects like this are done. And we really wanted to avoid some of the challenges and pitfalls of community feeling like they weren't engaged and they really wanna be. Community wants to be informed and a part of the process. And I'm really glad that we did that because it helped build some of the excitement. Part of the website that was created included video presentations 
for each artist to talk about their projects, as well as a short description. And so it wasn't a voting process. It was more like a comment survey. So people could say, I really like Vinny's. Vinny's my favorite artist. Or, you know, Dred Scott's looks pretty unique. I'd love to see something like that. That was really helpful to us and, and was a sigh of relief to the panel of artists and art experts and historians and community stakeholders because there didn't seem to be any conflict there in who we were going to select. So an interesting element about how you've structured this commission is that you've paired Nina, the winning artist, with an emerging Newark-based artist, Adabumi Badebo, to support the project. And Adabumi is serving as an apprentice. So why was it important to include this apprenticeship structure? And what is Adabumi's role in the project? Celebrating our local artists and giving them opportunities to learn is a really important part of our public art program. We often encourage collaboration, even with our murals, with maybe an inexperienced artist who maybe hasn't been a part of a larger scale project with someone who's more experienced. That's typically the way we've been working the past couple of years. And it really has a benefit to the entire team that works on the project. Aribume is a wonderful, amazing artist in her own right. She's never done a public art project before. She primarily works with hair, but also around themes about slavery. She's been tracing um, her own family's history and has even visited some slave plantations down south. And she had a clay residency where she, she's interested in, in sculpture. And so that was just a perfect um, opportunity for her and for us to make sure that a local artist, even though Nina is also from New Jersey, we wanted a North-based artist to be able to learn from this experience too. So the monument is scheduled to be installed this summer or at the end of the summer. But in the meantime, you have been working on a whole host of community programming where the artist team will engage directly with Newark residents, including inviting them to actually create art elements that will be incorporated into the physical monument itself. So what does the Newark community have to look forward to in the coming months? We've had a couple so far. The first initial workshops we've done have been at Express Newark and the Newark Museum. And it's an opportunity for residents to participate in tile-making workshops that will be part of a mosaic on the actual monument. We're also hosting workshops at the Harriet Tubman Elementary School. And also just within the cities, we have kind of recreational spaces here for youth called Centers for Hope and our senior centers. So those are a couple of the sites that we're looking at to have new workshops where residents, even if you don't have an art background and you don't think that you're an artist, it's a way for them to be a part of it too. And then there's the audio stories where in partnership with the North Public Library and Audible, we'll be capturing interviews from people reflecting on themes about liberation, courage, and Harriet Tubman's legacy. We want it to kind of be personal too. I really love the way that Nina is framing the prompts for people to respond to, to reflect on their own personal stories of struggle and what helped them get through difficult times. 
And it really also just makes me think about art in general, right? And how during this pandemic, I can't think of anyone who hasn't benefited from art. You know, whether it's a piece of music or a painting, a photograph or like a, a poem. I think this is the a profound contribution that artists give us to, you know, heal and be inspired. So I'm really glad that we have all of these elements for community to engage. It's really been so beautiful to see these workshops and how meaningful they've been for community members. And I think you're exactly right. We're at, we're at this time when we've been lacking connection. And so being able to come together and share your stories and be creative and, and participate in this community narrative that's being shaped is, is special. And there aren't that many opportunities to do that. So it's it's really wonderful that this project has that element. We're also working on a brick campaign, giving folks a chance to, if they want to include their family's name and being a part of this historic monument, they can make a donation and purchase a brick that will be installed around the monument. That's great. So you mentioned some of the partners that you've been working with, and this project has gathered a fair amount of attention and active participation from local and national funders and institutions. How did this project develop into such a significant public-private partnership for the city of Newark? I tell myself affirmations daily, every day. (laughs) (laughs) I had a dream that I really wanted some national funders to support this. And I knew immediately oh, it would be so wonderful if we could partner with the Mellon Foundation. I really love the work that the Mellon Foundation is doing around public art and monuments in particular. And we were so fortunate that we made that connection with them. And they are now one of our funders, as well as Audible, which we're lucky that it's right, the headquarters are right across the street from the park. And uh, their expertise around technology and storytelling is going to be a really important component. The Newark Museum um, is also right across the street from the park. And so it's situated in just the perfect place for residents and visitors of the city to have a great experience. So backing up a bit, this new monument came about because in June 2020, the city removed a Christopher Columbus statue in what was then called Washington Park in downtown Newark. So tell us a little bit about what drove that decision to remove that statue and what that meant to the Newark community. Oh, yes. You know, that period of unrest during the George Floyd protest on top of the pandemic was so super intense. Here in the city of Newark, we had about 12,000 people that flooded the streets. I was there with them and everyone marched with the mayor at the head leading everyone to City Hall. The police, they actually led motorcades alongside the protesters and really gave space for people to express their anger, their justified anger. and. In the midst of that, the mayor had signed an ordinance banning hate groups from the city of Newark and said that he would close the first police precinct here, which was the site of the 1967 rebellion here in Newark. And so amid all of that, we also saw 
monuments being toppled all over the place. And the mayor asked me if I thought we should remove Christopher Columbus. He was concerned about public safety and whether or not artists would attempt to topple that and then be hurt in some way. And I said, absolutely, we should remove it. What a profound opportunity. The mayor said, and Harriet Tubman will replace this. And we will rename this space Tubman Square. And for a mayor to lead something like that, we're really fortunate because Mayor Baraka is an artist himself and he just gets it. He is just so in tune as an artist who comes from such an incredible family himself. So I think we're a little lucky there. For so long, we have been talking in our own community about the false narrative around Christopher Columbus. And we want our children to learn the right history. And we want our children to be able to see representations of themselves in their own history and be proud of that. A few weeks later, after our conversation, he called me around 9 p.m. And he said, Fayemi, we're ready to go tonight. You can call a few people. Don't call too many. It's a few, a little quiet gathering down there, and we'll be ready to go at midnight. Um, so I called some poets and drummers and community activists, and it was about two or three dozen people that showed up. Some brought candles and sage and flowers. We have video footage of the drummers out there. There were people chanting at the statue of Columbus as it was being removed. It was highly charged and emotional. Some people actually cried. People were hugging. Some people laughed and cheered. It was a really beautiful moment that we never really thought that we'd see and have that opportunity to challenge that history in this way. That sounds like such a powerful night. So many cities around the country and around the world have had monuments removed these past couple of years. And you, you mentioned that as well. From what I've seen, most cities haven't yet figured out what's going to replace those monuments, if anything. So as one of the first cities to commission a permanent replacement, what advice or insights do you have for other communities that are thinking about the ways to grapple with the past and, and what that might mean for the future of designing their public realm? Definitely make sure you include community engagement. Definitely make sure you have some type of feedback process. I've heard of meetings, community meetings that have gone awry. <laughs> and maybe we were lucky because, you know, because it was during the pandemic, we had to think of ways to do things virtually. And so certain obstacles uh, that others had, we didn't have. But I would say definitely um, study the work that other people have done, but also really take seriously the themes of representation in your own city and find ways to connect with stories that resonate with the residents and the kind of cultural history that exists in your own community. It always helps to, I think, to try and align with what's happening now what we see happening politically so that art can be used as a tool for conversation. That's wise advice. And so I guess looking at that, the, the broader context and specifically in the context of 
policymaking, both in Newark and nationally, what is that policy context that you're seeing develop in terms of heritage, representation, and shifting narratives? Uh, one of the things I'm seeing is some dialogue that the Monument Lab has prompted around collective memory and trying not to think of monuments or statues as celebrating one individual. I think we tried to think about that with Harriet Tubman, not just honoring Harriet Tubman as a singular figure, but what she represents and being able to take a look at um, our history of the Underground Railroad in our own city, all the different safe houses that existed here. It just allows for a deeper storytelling. And it's always just great when you have the support of local government and your local art agencies and art institutions in your city working in partnership and collaboration also leads to a greater impact. And I think the Tubman Monument will also give us a chance to think about other issues like voting rights and the carceral justice system, uh, reparations, police brutality. There are so many um, entry points um, using Harriet Tubman and her legacy to talk about those things. You have a lot of experience as an artist and an arts administrator, and you brought that with you when you took this position in the city. So what has that been like carrying that expertise into public service and how has that informed what you do? And has this experience working for local government shed light on, I don't know, your your experiences in the past working with public art and, and elsewhere in the sector? Yes, because before I was on the outside yelling at City Hall, like, you're not doing enough. <laughs> 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 and now I'm on the inside. But the wonderful thing is, even from day one, when we convened inside um, municipal chambers with the mayor, uh, with our arts community, maybe 100 people came and he announced my role. And it was really beautiful because my own community came out and they stood up and applauded because we've never had this type of coordination in our city before a person that's in place and in charge of our art sector to make sure that not just art organizations, but also artists are being supported. It's something that I think people have called for for a long time. And so now being in that position, I feel an intense amount of responsibility for the community that I love so much. We have an amazing village here in Newark. We have an arts mayor, so I'm lucky. But the wonderful thing is it was our local art agency, Nork Arts, that created a cultural plan. And in that plan, you know, it's an in-depth study that found that our arts sector contributes $178 million to our economy and supports 5,000 jobs. And I think that when we had that cultural plan, that really opened the eyes of a lot of people. And you are not just any person in this role. You're somebody who has done so much work in this community and is really trusted and loved and loves the, the Newark arts community back. And that's, I think, a testament to everything you've been able to do in these two years that you've, you've been in this role. Mm -hmm. 
well, maybe more artists should be hired to work in these roles. <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess a last question for you, looking forward, public art in Newark, what's, what's your vision for the future? Well, we are taking advantage of these American recovery plan dollars. And again, the mayor has allocated $500,000 for public art alone. And so this year we'll be doing an RFP to find a local public program manager. We're looking at four to six mural projects that we'll do this year, but we really wanna go deeper into our neighborhoods to do some of these projects. We're looking at some of the hot spots in our city that have issues around public safety or gun violence or blight and vacant lots. And we want to contribute to neighborhood revitalization in the city. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Fiami. This is such an important topic, and this conversation is ongoing across the globe. But keep up the good work. And really, thank you again for sharing your wise words. I'm sure they're going to be an inspiration to many other cities that are trying to figure this out, too. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Follow the Data. Many thanks to David Anderson and Fayemi Shakur for joining us. Kindly note the views of the podcast guests are entirely their own, and Bloomberg Philanthropies hasn't independently verified any of the statements made by this week's podcast guests. To learn more about the arts and cultural organizations community in Newark, you can follow at Newark underscore arts on Twitter. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to Follow the Data. This episode was created by Amy June, Sarah Washington-Gogan, Devin Alessio, Rebecca Carrero, Ivy Lee, and Ryan Bell. As our founder, Mike Bloomberg, says, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So until next time, keep following the data. I'm Catherine Oliver. Thanks for listening. <laughs>